0: Good morning. Good morning, Overlake. It is wonderful to be with you today. Uh, My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team, and you might want to grab your notes out of your handout. Uh, As Pastor Pat mentioned, we are wrapping up our series on the book of Colossians today. This series is called Jesus Over All, and it has been an amazing journey. I know many of you have been tracking with us all the way through. If you have tracked with us all the way through, if this is your eighth message in this series, you need to understand you get a gold star in heaven for that. That's that's like amazing. Uh, And if you uh, if you missed a couple weeks, you know, like most of my elder board, uh, what what I'd love uh, is uh, to encourage you to go back online and and catch up with us and for sure make sure that you spend time reading through the book of Colossians because when you do, here's what you'll see. You will see that Paul really does. He's very intentional about drafting a manifesto about the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the uniqueness of Jesus Christ and the reality that he is fully God and fully human and he came to earth in order to become Lord and Savior uh, of our lives and and what does it look like for us to invite him to be the very center of how we live and move and have our being and that's what the entire book is all about and it's been this great, great adventure. So, so as we've uh, you know kind of tracked through all the way, um, I just want to encourage you to to. <laughs> it's weird because I feel like this is more of an introduction to the beginning of a series. Uh, you know, track with us. Okay, if you missed, now catch up with us. Uh, I I do things backwards. I'm sorry. So, um, but please do because it's an it's just an amazing thing that Paul has has done in this book that we have called Colossians. So today we're cha- in chapter four. We're in the last chapter, we're going to go through this last part of this book. And and Paul just starts it, you know, as he always does. He's talking about what life with Jesus at the center looks like. And he says this, live wisely, you might want to circle that, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. You might want to circle that last phrase. So live wisely and make the most of every opportunity. And, and Paul's talking about the opportunities specifically that God brings into our lives. The, the doors that God opens for us to have an impact on another person and, and in this context uh, with a non-believer. And you can pray that God would open the doors of opportunity. You can also pray that God would open your eyes. To the doors of opportunity that he's already placed in your life. Because the reality is opportunity is all around us. That, that we live in a region where there are over a thousand people moving into our area every week. We, we, we live in a region where there are 153 different languages spoken. You know the apostle Paul dreamt about going into all the nations. And what God is doing is bringing all the nations right here. So, so there are all kinds of opportunities all around us with new neighbors and new people that we work with and new people in our communities and our parishes and, and even new people in our churches that God's bringing through the doors here at Overlake. So, so the idea is there are opportunities all around us. We just need our eyes to be open to them. I remember one time a few years ago i was dropping off my son at soccer practice and and dropped him off and and uh one of the other moms came up to me and said excuse me by any chance are do you happen to be the pastor of a local church and um and, and i think she asked me because she already knew that i was a pastor at at Overlake, because i'm pretty sure you don't get asked that question you know often in your in your life and so uh, so she said, "Yeah, are you?" Pa-? I said, "Yeah, I'm Pastor Mike. I'm over at Overlake, and we started a conversation. And and Jody and I ended up becoming friends with her." And she had a whole lot of things that God was stirring in her heart spiritually. And she'd come out of a certain background and just had a bunch of questions. And so we just ended up, in terms of our friendship and sidelines of soccer games, we just ended up continuing conversation, seeking to live wisely, seeking to make the most of this opportunity. And over the course of the next 12 months, she just leapfrogged her way to a faith in Jesus Christ. She decided, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. And so I, I just want you to see that these are the kind of things. And, and by the way, let me be very clear. Jesus was already working in her life. That's the thing. And, and in your opportunities, the opportunities that you have that God opens up, you need to understand God's already at work there. So all we need to do is step in and embrace and live uh, wisely and, and, and make the most of this opportunity. Kind of seek his leadership and direction on how to do that. And then, of course, Paul, in the very next verse, gives us one way that we do make the most of opportunities. The one way that we do live wisely. He says, let your conversation, oh, so how you talk matters, right? Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you will know how to answer everyone. So let your talk be seasoned well. Let your conversation be well-seasoned. And it's not salty like sassy salty, okay? I've got three teenagers in my home, and they're often salty. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about the kind of, you know, appropriate seasoning. And in fact, in the ancient world, you probably already know this, but salt was a big deal. Salt was more than a, a commodity. Salt was actually so precious, it was a currency in the ancient world. And that's actually where we get the phrase, you've probably heard this through the ages, it's uh, somebody who's worth their salt. Right? It's because salt was a way that we would make payment, that we would give somebody a good day's wage and, and paid in salt. And, and so somebody who's worth their salt, if they worked really, really well. See, salt is a beautiful thing in the ancient world. And what Paul's talking about is salt brings out the best flavor in a meal. And that's what we're to do with our conversation. We're to bring out the very best in another person. We're to allow our conversation elevate that person. Seek to dignify that person. Seek to make sure that the the whole topic that we're talking about goes up a notch. And and I love how he starts the phrase, uh, full of grace. So that even if we're coaching someone or guiding someone or instructing someone, the way in which we approach that other person is we, we we dignify them as an image bearer of God most high and then we encourage them in a conversational way that is full of grace. And so I, I do want you to know that both of these verses go together. The live wisely and let your conversation be full of grace. And the reason why they go together is because... Both of those things are essential. How you live and how you talk are incredibly powerful in the way you impact other people. What do you think is more important? It's how you live that's more important. If, If how you live is different than how you talk, understand that people are going to be paying attention to how you live more. In fact, it, it, I've heard this phrase before. Um, Your behavior is speaking so loud, I can't hear a word you're saying. Uh, Saint Francis says it the other way. He says, "Preach the gospel at all times. Use words only when necessary." Right. So the idea is, yeah, these both these things are both important: how you talk and how you live. But make sure that how you live is is what people are hearing. They, like, take care uh, to make sure that you're living well and wisely and, and and what is he talking about he's not talking about you know just living wisely for one opportunity he's not just talking about let your conversation be seasoned with, with salt for one single conversation he's actually talking about an entire lifestyle and if you if you recognize that he's talking about a lifestyle then you understand that he's actually going after something that's even deeper it's your legacy that he's talking about it's what you are known for that he wants to help sculpt and build in your life. And by the way, we all want to leave a great legacy that, that none of us just want to exist and then die and that's it. N- nobody wants to have, you know, on their tombstone one day, um, he or she used natural resources and then died. But not soon enough. You know, like that's, no, nobody... No, Nobody wants that kind of a wasted space life. We want our existence to matter, to count for something. And so does the Apostle Paul. He wants our legacy to be a beautiful thing. And by the way, legacy is simply what you pass on to subsequent generations. It's just what we are passing on, what we're handing down. But it is far bigger than a material inheritance, In fact, the the construct in my mind is the construct of the story that is told of your life. The story that's told of what was important to you. The story that's told of how you made people feel. How you impacted the world with your choices, with your behavior, and with your investment. So that's legacy, and that's what the Apostle Paul wants to go after. And by the way, you and I, we are always building our legacy... We're always in process of building it. The, the problem is we're not building intentionally often. And if we're not intentional about what we're building, then we might not be happy with what we've built. And so that's what I want us to focus on today. But, but here's what we're going to do. You, you look at this next passage, Colossians 4, 7 through 15. And we're gonna, it, Paul's going to mention a lot of names in this passage. And I want you to understand that he's actually talking about this spiritual legacy that these people are leaving. So let's just go on. I'm going to read the whole thing and then we'll unpack it a bit. It says, Tychicus will give you a full report about how I'm getting along. He's a beloved brother and a faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we're doing and to encourage you. I'm also sending Anisimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that's happening here. Aristarchus who's in prison with me sends you his greetings and so does Mark Barnabas's cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. They're working with me here for the kingdom of God. And what a comfort they have been. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He also prays, he he always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings and so does Demas. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. Okay, here's what I want to know. I want to just talk about the names he mentions. So he starts right off the bat with Tychicus, and he talks about he's a dear brother, he's a fellow servant. Uh, Tychicus was probably so trusted that he was the custodian of the different offerings from the different churches that were distributed to those in need. And he also was the deliverer of this letter, which we have as the book of Colossians. And he also delivered Ephesians to the church at Ephesus. And he was Paul, he assisted Paul, he encouraged Paul. The next name is Onesimus. And Onesimus was a runaway slave who had met Paul and come to Jesus through the ministry of Paul. And so now, Paul's sending him back home with a letter of reconciliation. We have this in the Bible. It's the book of Philemon. And in it, Paul urges not only a loving reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus, but he also urges for his ultimate freedom, right? Onesimus' ultimate freedom. Uh, The next name is Aristarchus, and he's in prison voluntarily with Paul. You might have forgotten that Paul is currently in prison in Rome... And he's doing ministry out of this prison cell. And Aristarchus is voluntarily there serving Jesus alongside with him. Uh, The next name is Mark. This is Barnabas' cousin. Now, Mark also wrote a best-selling book. Do you guys know what book Mark wrote? The Gospel According To. Okay? That's a a pretty good legacy right there. So so Paul's saying, hey, take care of him if he shows up. And then Jesus, uh, also called Justice... These last three were his Jewish brothers, and he mentions that they were a comfort to him. See, what's interesting that we don't think about too often is that Paul, he had, because of his faith in Jesus, he had distanced himself from so many of his Jewish brothers and sisters. So he, he had actually had a, kind of an abandonment sort of a feeling from his uh, sort of cultural heritage. And so here are three Jewish brothers that are a great encouragement to Paul— And then the next was Epaphras. We've talked at the beginning of this series about how he was the church planter and pastor of this church in Colossae. So he's the pastor of this church that the letter is being written to. Um, And then uh, Luke's mentioned, the beloved doctor. Now, he was also a best-selling author. He wrote two books. You guys remember? The Gospel According to Luke, as well as anybody? Acts, that's right, so somebody else gets a gold star in heaven. God is paying attention, so nice job, well done. So the book of Acts and the book of Luke, uh, Luke wrote, the doctor, and then Demas, he's a faithful servant of Jesus when Paul's writing this letter, but if you read ahead to 2 Timothy chapter 4, you'll find that Demas actually deserts Paul, and he leaves the faith. So th- So there is that reality of that legacy. And then Nympha uh, utilizes the gift of hospitality in her own living room as she watches the kingdom of God expand. So she's a church leader, she's a pastor, and the church meets in her home. So these are the men and women who are sacrificially and seriously serving the person of Jesus in the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you that the legacy that they have left behind, you and I right now are continuing. That we, the saints in the faith today, stand upon the shoulders of those who have gone before. And so if, if you have ever encouraged another brother and sister in faith, then you are following in the legacy of Tychicus. And if you have ever opened your home and invited others in, utilizing the gift of hospitality, or or maybe you have uh, had small groups meet in your home, or Bible studies meet in your home, then you are following in the legacy of Nympha. And if you have ever wrestled in prayer, if if you have ever gone to bat intercessing or praying for other brothers and sisters in faith, you are following in the legacy of Epaphras. You see, legacy matters, and, and there's this beautiful legacy that these men and women have left behind. And, and it just causes me to think of a question: if if someone was writing a book about Overlake today, what is the legacy that would get attributed to you? If someone's talking about how God's kingdom is powerfully moving through the saints at Overlake. How would your name be mentioned? See, it's important for us to understand what the legacy is that we are building. And and here's the most interesting thing about legacy. The, the most interesting thing about legacy is this, to me. That at the end of your life, let's say you get near the end of your life and you think you're sort of near the jumping off place. Here's what you cannot do. You can't simply announce your legacy you can't just stand up one day and declare my legacy is awesomeness to all you know or whatever like you can't do that that's not how legacies work all you can do is spend your life building a legacy you can't tell your spouse what it is your kids what it is or your office what it is they tell you what it is You spend your life building and investing and influencing, and then they tell you the legacy that you have gifted to them. Are you following me? And so it's important for us to be intentional about what is the legacy that we're going to build with our lives. And and so I I just want to challenge you, if if you're filling in the blanks, the the first challenge is this. the, The thought is to invest in future generations. The challenge to invest in future generations is a part of building my legacy. And the question is, how? And And the answer to the next fill-in is, you begin by giving your time. It, it, it's an investment in time in future generations. It, it's an investment in time in terms of your family... And I want to say this in terms of your children as you're raising them. I want to say this in terms of your grandchildren. Some of you, that's where you are in your life stage. You're investing your time in them. But I also want you to know that when it comes to investing in your children, how you treat your spouse is a massive part of your legacy. So the way you honor your spouse is a way that you build into the legacy to the next generation. And so that's a part of investing in family. But please understand that That we're not just looking at the next generation. We're not just looking at, you know, my children. You're also looking at grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And and I wonder what would happen if we sort of framed our our minds to think, what's the legacy I'm building to those generations that have not arrived yet? What's the legacy that I'm investing in to those who aren't even on the planet yet? How, How would my prayers change? How would my priorities change if I started looking that far ahead? You've probably heard this uh, quote. It's been attributed to Chief Seattle, and I did some research, and it turns out it's probably more likely the poet William Barry who says that we do not inherit the earth from our ancestors. We borrow it from our grandchildren. And so what would that look like for us to sculpt and guide and influence and nurture our children and our grandchildren, in the faith of Jesus. You know, I would say that the best way to do that is is to live the life now that you would be happy for your children to follow in your footsteps. Live the life now that you would be proud of your grandchildren following in your footsteps. And it requires like an investment of your time. You know, we talk sometimes about uh, our our kid town ministry. And I had the privilege of being at our kid town volunteer uh, dinner. It was our volunteer appreciation dinner last week. And it really was so fun. I got a chance to interact with just about everybody that was there and and met some incredible people. I, I spent some time with this beautiful family, mom and dad, four kids, all in elementary school. And this incredible family, mom would take two kids and serve in one kid town classroom, and dad would take the other two kids and serve in another kid town classroom every week. And I told him, I said, you guys do realize that you are, you are building like double the legacy, right? Not only are you building a legacy where you serve Jesus with your children, you're also influencing the lives of other children. It's a beautiful picture. I got a chance to spend some time with my friend Kim. Kim and I have served uh, before in the three-year-old classroom. That's where I like to serve whenever I get a chance to go to Kid Town because I have three teenagers, and I really want adorable if I'm going to serve. So. I, uh I, I've been in the three-year-old classroom with Kim, and she was talking to me. that She says, Mike, at the end of this year, I think I'm going to graduate up. I, I want to move up from the three-year-old classroom. When my kids turn four, I want to graduate with them. And I told her, Kim, do you do realize that this is how you become a part of the family conversation of faith? Right, by investing year in and year out in these young lives. This is like the story of parents as they talk to their kids about faith. Your name is going to be mentioned. It's a beautiful thing. I was talking to my buddy Dwight. Dwight has served in Kid Town Ministry for as long as I've been at Overlake. For over 15 years. And I told him, Dwight, your legacy is faithfulness. And it's a beautiful, beautiful legacy. Year in and year out, he's showing up and investing. And I was thinking this week, you know, I, I, I really want you to wrestle with this question. Is there a greater privilege in investing in the future of the faith of Jesus followership? Is there a greater privilege we have of sculpting eternity in the hearts of the next generation? Is there anything higher or more holy than that kind of a call? And I I just want to encourage you to realize that the greatest inheritance you could possibly give is a spiritual inheritance of faithfulness to Jesus. Are you with me, Overlake? So invest time. uh, You invest in in the next generation. The next fill-in is just the challenge to mentor and to find somebody to mentor. You can only mentor one-on-one. So this is not something you can do in mass. This is just a life-on-life kind of a relationship. And I don't think you can mentor unless you are receiving mentorship in your own life. I've shared this before over Lake. I have two pastors. Both of them are about 10 years ahead of me in terms of experience and their life stage. and, And these are guys that just pour into my life. We pray together. I get with them. I listen to their wisdom. I'm humble before them. I want to receive what it is that they have for me. And then there are also some pastors that, that are in a younger generation than I am that I'm able to then speak life and encouragement into their lives. And just on Tuesday, I got a phone call from a pastor friend of mine. He's a lead pastor down in Long Beach, California. He was actually in a youth ministry class. Pastor Lynn Ellis and I taught a class at Hope International University when we lived down there. And, and uh, not together. We didn't live together down there. We were both together together. In Orange County, I'm sorry, that sounded really weird. Um, you do realize that like half of the staff is from Orange County. Have you realized that like, and that's just because you know everyone wants out of Orange County. So, <laughs> but uh, but we taught this class down at Hope International University, and this was one of uh, just a great student in that time frame. We became friends, and and so he calls me up on Tuesday. He's going through a really tough season in ministry. And I was able just to speak life into him and encouragement for the hour and a half that we were on the phone. And what I want you to see is that, that you can't do this thing. You can't just do this thing shotgun blast. That in order to mentor, you actually have to build relationship. And you have to be willing to walk roads and seasons with different people in order to impact their lives in this way. And what is it that you give? See, some of you people, some of you, as you think of yourself, you think, what can I give to someone? What is it that I mentor with? I don't know if I have any expertise necessarily. And here's the challenge. What you offer another person is simply what God has built in you. What you give is you give your character. That's what you give. You give your character to another person. And what God has built up in you, you offer to someone else. And here's what I mean. Your reputation is what you're supposed to be, but your character is what you are. Your reputation is made in a moment, but your character is built over a lifetime. Your reputation can make you rich or poor, but your character is what makes you joyful or miserable. Your reputation is what people say about you before your tombstone, but character is what angels say about you before the throne of God. Reputation is important for your career, but character is essential for your legacy. You see, your character is going to be caught more than it's going to be taught. And you can impress other people from a distance. People have been doing that since the history of the world. But influence happens person by person, over time, mentoring and giving your character and investing in the next generation. The next part of building a legacy is an investment in Scripture and time with God. Scripture and time with God. And I realize that whenever I get to a challenge like this, you know, some of you, you're like, oh, really, pastor's telling me to read the Bible and pray more? Oh, that, this is brilliant. I've never heard that before, right? And I get it. And by the way, I want to say it's a good thing that your pastor tells you to read the Bible and to spend time praying. Like, that's a good thing. But I get it. It's, it's, it's hardly, like, profoundly, you know, out of the box. But understand that this is an important and essential way that you are developing yourself and impacting others by showing what's important to you. So Paul says this in verse 16. After this letter's been read to you, see that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. So he's challenging them to make a commitment to reading and meditating on and digesting well this scripture that what we have is the book of Colossians. And he says, after you're done, then share it. You know, take it over to the church in Laodicea. Like, let them also be encouraged and challenged and and mentored by this letter. And then some of you already caught it, but then he says, and read the letter that I sent to them. And you're like, well, what letter did Paul send to Laodicea? We don't know. We don't have it. So that's a missing epistle right now. Some of you are right now Googling missing epistle. Like, we don't have it. It doesn't, like, to our knowledge, we don't have it. So that's part of the wisdom of God through Paul that we don't have any access to. But what we do have is this. So that's what we invest in. And, and what I would say is most of what you do in investing in Scripture is going to be between you and God alone, that no one else is going to see that. But I would also challenge you to have such a value of God's word, that this this would be so encouraging to you, that this would be such a guiding light for you, that you would have it with you and let somebody see it on your desk at your office. That, that if you're setting up coffee with a friend and they're five minutes late, let them catch you reading the Bible as you wait for them to show up. Are you with me? Uh, one of the things that I like to do is, is I, I'm an early riser, so often I'm up early. I'm the first one awake in my home, and I'll have a cup of coffee, and I have a journal system going, and I'll have my Bible out, and and, and that's just when I invest in scripture, and I invest in time with God, and so often my son Caleb, who's also an early riser, he'll come downstairs, and he'll catch me in the scripture. He'll catch me in my time with the Lord, and and I just think that's a, that's a beautiful thing because I want that to be a part of his legacy. I want him to understand, oh, yeah, Dad, yeah, my Dad was in the Scripture. My Dad was often in the Word, and I, and I saw him so many mornings, I can't even count, you know. I want that to be a part of the legacy. My daughter, she sleeps in. She doesn't know I read the Bible. She never, never once caught me. So... But I want you to understand how important this is. And then I put a scripture in your outline. This is from Jesus' life. It's talking about how chaotic and how crowded and there was just all kinds of things going on in the ministry of Jesus and it was exhausting. And then it says this in Luke 5, uh, verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And I I bring this up because I, I just want you to make a note of this somewhere. That if Jesus needed to get alone in order to receive time with the father and to pray to the father and just have that special time between the father and him for restoration and rejuvenation to fill back up so that he could go out and continue ministering if God in the flesh needed that time with the father don't you think you and I need it as well Right? We need to invest in that time with the Lord. So invest in Scripture, invest in time with God. And then the last fill in here is invest in God's work. Invest in God's work. Verse 17, Paul writes Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you've received in the Lord. Complete the work. Now, that idea of completion requires a long obedience in the same direction. It requires a sense of steadfastness and perseverance. In order to take something from beginning to completion, it requires a stick to and, and And Paul's saying, be sure that you complete the work. And, and even when you hear that phrase, maybe some of you are like, oh, I know exactly what that work is. I know exactly the work that God has called me to complete. I just want to encourage you, continue, persevere, be steadfast, be relentless as you go after completing that work. But many of us, we don't know. It's, it, it, it's not super clear. We don't have a, a specific task or a sp- specific work that we feel God has placed in us. And, and so I just want to start with a, with a real clear premise about this. You do realize that God is doing a work in you and God is doing a work you. you do realize that that God wants to work in you and then in you wants to work in the world that that is a part of his process and 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 he's he's wanting us to be active participants with him in this but i was thinking about this analogy that that the, the problem is be, We don't understand this. There's there's a difference between these two constructs, and we think God is one of these two constructs. And here's here's what I mean. There's a difference between a cook and a chef. And we treat God like a cook when God is really a chef. I'll explain. Don't worry. The idea is this. What does a cook do? A cook takes a recipe that has been handed to him or her. The, the, The cook receives a recipe, and then all the ingredients... And the cook just takes the ingredients they're given, puts it all together, follows the recipe, and hands over a meal. It's a standardized process. Here's what I mean. If you want to make this really clear in your mind, just write down, Denny's has cooks. Right? Denny's has cooks. There's no originality. The recipe is set. It's standardized all the way across the nation. They receive ingredients. They're told what to prepare. They shovel out the meals. That's how Denny's works. I have no offense uh, against Denny's, I've spent way too much time at Denny's and, and uh, in fact, so much time, I'm never going back. So, um, uh, so, Denny's has cooks. Now, what does a chef do? A chef cares about every single stage in the process of preparation. The, the chef cares about the ingredients and the quality of the ingredients, and the source of the ingredients. And so, in this region, you would recognize that what it was a chef in this region? A chef would care about locally sourced. A chef would care about organic. A chef would care about free range or ethically raised. A chef would care about all kinds of things that have to do with the origination and the quality of the ingredients. Again, to make it clear, canless has a chef, right? And, it, and the experience of a chef is to take the finest ingredients, you know, understanding sort of the history and the backstory of all of it, and to prepare something that's not some standard recipe but that's unique, something that the chef themselves creates, something that's just for the delight of the customer. Now, I want you to understand what God is. God is a chef, but we treat God like a cook, and here's what I mean. We come to God, and we say, God, here's the ingredients. Make me a delicious meal. We say, God, he, here's the ingredients. I, 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 I want you to make me an awesome meal. I want it to be incredible, delicious. I want it to, you know, move me, inspire others. Uh, here's the, I'm going to give you all the ingredients. I want you to make me have a great life, and, and make sure you include I, I need her in my future. In, in the meal, she's tasty. I, I want her. I, I want her in the meal, or, or for you know him. I want him in the meal. That, I, I wouldn't say, it, but that, you might say, I want him. Or or you go, God. Here's the deal. I'm gonna bring you the ingredients, and I want that career. You you gotta give me that career, God. Here's all the ingredients. Do whatever you want. Make it as awesome as you want. Just as long as it's that career. God, I'll, I'll just, here's my life. Here's all the ingredients. I just, whatever you have for me, God, I'm so excited about it, but I need to live in that house. It's got to be that house. Or God, I need just whatever you have. Here's the ingredients. I need to make this level of income. Or I need to have this level of fame. God, I trust you with everything. I trust you with my whole, every, everything, all the future, the legacy. It's all yours. Here's the ingredients. Just make sure I win the lottery. You know, that, that's all I need. And God's saying, you're treating me like a cook. You, you want a delicious meal, and yet you're giving me fast food ingredients. If you don't let me prepare the ingredients, you can't hold me responsible for the meal. And you might to write that down because it's important for us to understand that if we don't let him choose the ingredients, we can't hold him responsible for the meal. And we consistently give God the ingredients, and we force the ingredients on God. We tell him, this is how you do it, and this is what you do, and this is who you do with." And God says, look, you're not going to like the meal that's being prepared. You've got to trust me. You've got to trust me. And you say, well, how is it then that he gets the ingredients to prepare the meal that he wants to prepare? And, and I would tell you that these ingredients, they come from within you. They come from your long intimacy and obedience with him. And right now, in the life that you are currently within, God is doing a work in you if you will remain faithful. And so right now in your career, as you walk faithfully with the Lord, there are ingredients that are being prepared for you. And right now in your relationships... Right now in your marriage, if you will walk faithfully with the Lord, there are ingredients that can be harvested. And right now, in your finances, right now in the obstacles that you face, right now in whatever the challenge is from a health perspective or whatever the challenge is from a broken relationship perspective, you need to understand that right now, As you walk faithfully and obediently with the Lord, he is able to harvest delicious, organic, wonderful ingredients to prepare for you a meal that will be so delicious that generations will speak of it. This is why the scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, we treat God like a cook when we say, here's the desires of my heart. Make all these things happen. And he says, no, delight yourself in me. Follow me faithfully. Walk with me in obedience. Allow this long intimacy with Jesus at the very center of your life. Let that be the story. And out of it, the ingredients will come to prepare the bountiful table that I have in store for you. Amen? You guys with me? You know, first service clapped. I, I, I'm not saying that you're not as good as them or. I, I was probably better then, I'm sorry. I, I, I should always caffeinate between, I know. I, I, I hope you don't miss it. I hope you don't miss that Jesus loves you so much that he's inviting you into something. It's an adventure the likes of which you cannot imagine. And yet it will impact not just your life and not just the next generation. It's not even the third generation that, that Paul wants you to build toward. This is a legacy that impacts eternity. It starts with us trusting and walking with Jesus. And then Paul goes on. It's, it's just kind of an interesting way that he turns the corner. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hands. And then he says, remember my chains, grace be with you. Circle that phrase, remember my chains. He just kind of slips it in there. Oh yeah, I'm in prison. Right? And, and, and Paul would be the first person. In fact, when we get to eternity, we're, we're going to see Paul, and he's going to give us his story, and it's going to be beautiful. But you need to understand that Paul is going to be the first person to say, following Jesus is an adventure. It's a flat, open, wide, open, it's just absolutely pedal-to-the-metal adventure following Jesus Christ. And he would say, I, I, I'll give you this testimony. Because it includes all kinds of things. It includes travel. And it includes shipwreck and snake bite. It includes having people throw rocks at your head and getting thrown into jail. But it also includes people receiving Jesus and people getting healed. And just miracle after miracle happening. And and he says, oh yeah, remember my chains, he says. It's an adventure. And sometimes it's a really difficult adventure. But it's never boring. And it's, it, adventures aren't all May walks in sunshine, Mr. Baggins. Like, I, I hope you understand. Adventures can be incredible, and they can be awesome, and they can be difficult. And remember my chains. And I just, I wonder, it, it, when's the last time we suffered any chains? Right, when's the last time that we ever actually t- took a knock for our faith? Like, are we living out there enough? Is it, is it out there enough where we could have some negative response to how passionately we love Jesus? Because this last verse, again, this is from Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Let nothing move you, he says. Always give yourselves fully. Circle that word. Fully. Above it, you could also write the word Passionately. That's what he's going after. Always give yourselves fully, passionately to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And when was the last time you were so passionate about your love of Jesus Christ? When was the last time you can remember that you were so passionate about his work in your life? When was the last time you were so passionate about participating in the work that he was doing through you to impact someone else. You see, I want to challenge you like Paul challenges us. I want to challenge you to give yourselves fully, passionately to God's work inside of you. Give yourself fully and passionately to his word and to time with him. Give yourselves fully and passionately to investing in the next generation because you're not just building a legacy for a time. And you're not just building a legacy for the next generation. Friends, you're building a legacy for eternity. And God wants us to give ourselves fully to that work. It is the work. It's what we are called to go after. And I want you to remember, please never, ever forget this. That we are to partner with a God who is able to do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Remember that we're we're partnering with a God who says, ask of me, and I'll give you the nations. And, And never forget that no matter how passionate you can be for Jesus Christ, it's nothing compared to how passionate he is for you. Amen? All right. love you over like i feel like you clap because i want you to clap and i'm okay being that guy just so you know why don't you bow your heads and let's pray together jesus we want to say thank you for how passionate you are for us thank you that you are the one who has come in love and grace you've lived wisely among us you made the most of opportunities with us. Your conversation was always seasoned with grace. You always were able to bring out the best and, and you always persevered. You, you were the one who completed the work that you were assigned to do. And Jesus, we just want to confess that the legacy that you have built uh, is, it's amazing and it's eternal, it's limitless. There's no way we can get our minds around how you have impacted this planet, let alone history, let alone our personal lives and history. And and so Jesus, we just want to say thank you. We start there. But right now, Lord, what what we want, what we want to ask you is for the courage to build a legacy with our lives that makes you proud. We want to build a legacy that makes you proud. So would you do your work in us Holy Spirit, come. We invite you. Do your work. And let us build the legacy that you have for us to build. We pray it in your name. Amen.